Hello, welcome to Remote Patrol. Oh boy, this week we're doing, again, admittedly, because somebody lost the recording of the last one. And uh, it, we, the only thing we know is that it wasn't Scott. Uh, the, it's up in the air as to who it actually was. I but think it was Ziggy. It, I think that's entirely feasible. Uh, and so we're doing this one again. So just to let you know, we are a little further away from watching it uh, that we, than we normally would be. Uh, also, I don't remember anything we said before. So this is effectively fresh for me. So anything could happen. I don't know. We're doing uh, Play It Again, Seymour. Did I say that? I'm rattling. Well, we are, you know. <laughs> We're doing Play It Again, Seymour. The uh, season finale for season one of, of Quantum Leap, Play It Again, Seymour. Um, uh, we are recording this episode on uh, January 14th of 2019. Uh, Play It Again, Seymour originally aired on May 17th, 1989. And... The leap takes place on April 14th of 1953. Uh, as normal on this podcast, we like to give people a bit of background of what was going on around the time that Sam Beckett leapt into. So for the week of April 14th, 1953, Ian Fleming publishes his first James Bond novel, Casino Royale, in the United Kingdom. The German football team SG Dynamo Dresden is founded. I've never heard of them, but know. then again, I'm, I'm I'm not a sports person. I'm not a footballer. I think I think you might have to specifically be a German sports person to have any. Cl- I don't know. I German don't listeners, know. let us know. Uh, what else do we have? President Eisenhower delivers his Chance for Peace speech at the National Association of Newspaper Editors, and finally. Uh, no, not finally. I have two more. A four-story building in Chicago belonging to the ha- to the Habar Corporation catches fire. 35 employees are killed. And finally, Mickey Mantle hits a 565-foot home run. That's 172 meters at the Griffith Stadium in Washington, D.C. Mantle's home run is believed to be the longest home run in baseball history by many historians. However, an eight-second Google search claims that Babe Ruth hit 575 feet more than three decades later. So earlier or oh, more than three decades earlier. Thank you for. Yep. Yep. See, you, you read, you actually read things. I do. I'm paying attention. Don't worry. I'm it's all fine. It's all good. I was, I was contemplating hitting a baseball because I've never done that. Is that, you know, um, that, and that's not odd, right? That's that's normal. I don't know anyone else who's hit a baseball in a baseball game either. Well, in a baseball well, game, that makes it a bit more understandable. But just like any baseball in their lives, especially if you throw in softball into the mix, to find yeah. someone who's never hit one is a bit more unusual. But I can say as someone who has hit a baseball and or a softball and or a wiffle ball in my youth, you're not really missing a whole lot, in my opinion. I just wonder, like, because, okay, so Mickey Mantle hit it 172 meters. Is that difficult? Really? I have no idea. How hard, how far would I hit a ball on my first go? Or at least I'll accept maybe you don't just, maybe I have to have a couple of swings before I actually make contact. I don't know. I'm, again, not a sports person. So we will expect me to be shit at it. That's a fair deal. But how hard is it? I, I don't know. We'll put it this way. 
if you were to stand at the uh, <coughs> at, at the far end, we'll 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 go with American football uh, rather than than European football. If you were to stand at the goal line of an American football field, in order to to hit it as far as Mickey Mantle and Babe Ruth, you would have to uh, essentially hit it across the entire length of the of the football pitch to the other goal and then again but is that difficult I, I don't i mean it's a record so i assume people aren't hitting it 172 meters on a weekly basis but you know i don't know i have seen a baseball game in in real life and it, it they did ever so well it was not in any way what you expect when when you've only ever seen baseball in films about baseball real life baseball is dramatically disappointing <laughs> yes this is true um uh, real life baseball like, so, it so has the cinematography of of hollywood baseball just the way the game goes like you don't realize like who's getting to first base fucking no one no one doesn't matter where they hit that ball it's getting back to the guy at first base Im just immediately you can barely follow the ball they're that good and it was a minor league game i watched the ball skills were incredible and no one got to first base. And you're like, where's the whole, like, all oh, the bases are loaded and there's two seconds left. And it's like, bollocks, none of that. Nothing. It was just bloke after bloke not getting to first base for five hours. But it was two, fun. Two things that I'm finding really entertaining about this particular exchange. One, the fact that I'm talking with someone who thinks that baseball has a clock it has a timer like basketball yeah i know i've just realized it doesn't of course and the second thing <laughs> is i'm unaccustomed to discussing anything sports related with a person who has zero frame of reference for the difficulty of just hitting the ball not even right <laughs> hitting it as you know two football fields away but just to hit it is more difficult than most people would assume and I'm talking with someone who is so blithely unaware of baseball and its difficulty that they can say two football fields. Is that hard? I don't know. <laughs> I can't. I have no. I've never seen an American football field. I don't know how big that is, really. I can imagine and read numbers on the Internet, whatever. And I know that only Forrest Gump can run all the way along one really fast, but I don't know. I don't know. I could even if I saw one on TV. I don't know how big that is. It's only forty-eight inches in my living room, at the most, even in high def. So I have no. Yeah, I don't know. On the other hand, I have read Casino Royale. I think I have. I've seen the movie, but only one of them. It's nothing like the book, because the books aren't good, Scott. The books are not good. Okay, this I remember we discussed before. We discussed the 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 lacking quality of Ian Fleming's original works compared to the, the film adaptations of same. Yes. Not, not great. Not at all. As my dad said, when he heard I was reading them, he said, you'll read three. So I read <laughs> four and stopped. <laughs> the only, the only bond book that I have ever read was not even written by Ian Fleming. They're probably the better ones then. <laughs> uh, sometime after, uh, I'm assuming this was after Ian Fleming passed away, but uh, um, the the estate or the the rights to the book series were given to Eric Van Lusbader 
to take over the, the, the writing duties. So I know he wrote several and I read one of those. Um, yeah, I think they kind of bring out one a year, but each one is a different author. Mm -hmm. Um, I know I had multiple books by Eric Van Lusbader. Uh, so it was, it was clear that he had at least for a time taken over the series, but these books were not at all recent. They were, you know, quite some time ago. Um, and I remember noting the very, uh, distinct differences in the description of bond in the books compared to in the movies. First, uh, the books were allowing the character to show his age. He was getting older. Um, but they also made it very clear to describe, you know, he, he is scarred and he is, uh, you know, his face is very rough hewn. It's not a handsome face. It's a, it's a haggard weathered face. Uh, but he still ends up getting the girl, uh, I think multiple times in that particular book. Um, yes. Yeah. And I also took note of the fact that this is not the only series that Eric Van Lusbader has taken over because the, the estate gave him the rights to continue uh, the Jason Bourne film series after or book series after Robert Ludlum passed away. I, I suppose it's the kind of thing maybe as a writer, you might get a reputation for and people are, would look at him now and go, well, he handled the Bourne ones. All right. And those Bond novels were okay. Let's let him do some other thing that Richard's too ignorant of literature to know about. So, you know, that could be a thing. Mm -hmm. I wish I could have come up with an example of a thing he could have been given, but no, <laughs> Very thinly read. <laughs> I think it could have. I think it could have offered a nice opportunity for Jason Bourne and James Bond to cross over and meet in a book. That would be interesting. But then I'm still. I'm st if I'm gonna push for a crossover, I still want my Beverly Hills Cop slash RoboCop crossover. That's that's my big thing at the moment. I'm gonna make that poster because they're in Detroit, right? Maybe yep. RoboCop could go to Beverly Hills. Maybe Axel Foley could stay in Detroit. They should, they have to be together, you know, because Axel Foley has to be wisecracking at Robocop, who would never get it. He'd be so, he'd be so serious. And maybe he'd laugh at the end of the movie. Oh, this is beautiful. I'm, somebody make that, please. Here, and you write this, you write this script. Too. You write the script, I'll make the poster, and uh, this can be the follow-up to the poster that I made a while ago uh, of the next crossover sequel that I want to see, because uh, Taken has had three films, it has. and Equalizer has had two films. So the next one, they have to cross over, and I we even have the, the built-in uh, visualization uh, for, for the titles. The A in the word Taken becomes a four, and one of the E's in Equalizer becomes a three. So it's taken for an Equalizer three. And I made the poster for it and I want to watch the movie. So that's not, a, you can't call it that. You can't call it taken for Equalizer three. That sounds like a football game. I can absolutely call it that. <laughs> the, uh, the other crossover poster that I made was Thundercats meet Silverhawks. Yes, you can call it that. That you can do. I just don't think it would be wise to have the numbering of two of two films in the in the same title of a film. Like it should be like you should decide like is this crossover the third equalizer movie or the fourth thing, you yes. know? That's like, your answer. Like yes. Captain America Winter Soldier wasn't Captain America 3 Avengers 2 whatever, was it? It was a Captain America movie. <sighs> You've got to, you've got to pick one. This is, I'm just, 
I'm giving you advice here. You can't just green light everything, Scott. You'll bankrupt the studio. So in this episode of Quantum Leap, Sam leaps into April 14th, 1953. Yes, yes. And as normal, we have a, a synopsis for this episode before we move on to uh, discussing the, the wrong that is to be set right. <clears throat> Based on the storyline for this episode, you'll understand this, uh, this particular some synopsis style. He's there to find the killer, possibly a dropper named Clapper, or some other hard Harry out there. He's a peeper, a private detective that is, a gumshoe if you will, and things get a little sticky when a sultry woman steps into the picture. Did she do it? Was it Seymour? Or did Sam do it? There's a book about it, but it was never finished. So Sam must unravel the mystery before the Clapper claps him, or something like that. Yes, so I was just adding a timeline footnote on Zencaster. I'll cut this bit. Um, so he's there to find a killer. This this requires passing. Uh, possibly a dropper named Clapper. So dropper is killer, really. Yeah. Clapper's the guy's name. Uh, or some other hard Harry out there. Uh, Which I think is a tough guy, or perhaps another word for killer. Yeah. Peeper and gumshoe are both terms for uh, private detectives. Peeper, I I don't like because it's uh, that's that's a man who looks in through windows. Yeah, that that that's no good. We don't we we don't need those. That that's George McFly. <laughs> another one of these damn kids got out in front of my car. Exactly. And uh, things get a little sticky when a sultry woman steps into the picture. Are we not doing phrasing anymore? <laughs> Just, did she do it or was it Seymour? Or did say, oh, well, well, this will all come, we'll find out, I suppose. Or surprise, surprise, was it someone else entirely? And the the questions posed in this synopsis are the same questions that we uh, come up against uh, in, in the next section, dealing with the wrong that has to be set right. <clears throat> and I ask myself that question every time I do a write-up for, for this podcast. What is the wrong that was to be set right? What's new about it? And what's old about it? And with this one, it's rather hard to say. Um it, we, we can't really tell if we're trying to solve a murder mystery or if we're trying to fix up, fix up Nick and Allison. Nick is uh, the leap host that Sam uh, has leapt into. And Allison is uh, the, the sultry woman that we, that we mentioned before, uh, who, as it happens, was married to the dead man and in love with Sam's Nick. <clears throat> Um, the, the other question that we're given is, are we trying to put Seymour's unbearable conversational style to good use? Um, the characters even throughout the episode can't agree on this. Uh, Al is focusing on finding who the killer is and trying to keep Sam alive, but Sam is absolutely 100% focused on getting into Allison's wholly inappropriate grieving gown. <laughs> he is all about the naughty in this episode. He can't yeah. focus on the Leap's mission at all, which is, to, to me, that seems very out of character for Sam, but that's how the writers wanted to go. Consistency in characterization was less important in the late 80s. Let's let us be clear. Uh, absolutely, it was. I, and, and 
inevitable when groups of people because who wrote hang on who wrote this episode let's have a look i have it here written by donald p belisario created by scott shepherd teleplay uh and then three other people and I'm guessing these people don't write every episode together. And so inevitably that's going to happen um, because it, it just does. I'm, I'm amazed when it doesn't happen more often. Yeah, I agree. You, you're still, I'd be more comfortable if you were a little quieter because I, I think it's still peaking a bit. All right. I'll, I'll try to, I'll try to quiet down. Here we go. Oh, that didn't peak. All right. Okay. That looks a little bit better. Okay. Yeah, that, that, that looks better. Thank you. Hang on, I'll put another timeline footnote in here. Edit point. Cool. I don't know how they'll come up later, but it lets me put it in. So, worth a go. All right, it puts them there. Sorry, what was I saying? So, yeah, I I think that it, you're right, it is kind of out of character for, for Sam, but that kind of stuff is inevitable. I remember hearing about the guide they had for Star Trek writers, that it, when you started writing Star Trek, there was a book you got and it was all about how you must do things and what certain things are and how things function and all that stuff and this was like the bible for writers of star trek episodes so there's there's mm-hmm. a fair amount of consistency throughout star trek given it was that every episode was written almost by a different person you know people there were people who wrote blocks of episodes but five or six of them you know and but at at the same time those people who uh would be on staff for writing a lot of those episodes they would take a script that was initially written by someone else but they would have people on staff uh in the studio that it was their job to fix them to to modify and adapt the scripts that they got so it would match the tone so if someone submitted a script that was had someone acting wildly out of character they would have people uh, on, on board on the production staff that would be able to notice that sort of thing and fix it, change a line or give it to someone else and, and make sure that things were as consistent as possible. So it didn't always come down to the person who was writing the script initially. They would have uh, fixers to do uh, punch up and, and doctoring before it actually uh, got in front of the camera. Uh, less, fr- less common in Quantum Leap, I believe. <laughs> yeah, clearly. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, you don't know what kind of... I imagine every production is different, and you don't know what kind of guides they have put together, if anything at all. Or I, I don't know if it's a common thing. I just know they did it on Star Trek. But then mm-hmm. that's Star Trek. So I bet the Simpsons have one. I bet they have one, probably. So probably it was it was it was more important to have it on a show like Star Trek where they had uh, an open door policy for submitting uh, scripts and script ideas, which sadly they don't have anymore, and that's a shame. Well, that's because everyone in the world would send one, so it would be I I think it would be a nightmare. Expect, can you imagine if they if they said send us your your Star Trek scripts, we'll read them. Can you imagine just Oh, I wouldn't want to be the mailman that day. <laughs> Put it that way. There one. would be, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, there, there, there would be many. Should I say one of the drivers of the trucks that day? You know, just my God, it would be insane. They couldn't do that. So, yeah. 
So we'll we'll stick to writing our our fan scripts for the reboot of Quantum Leap. If you want to hear about what that reboot would look like, refer back to our earlier episode discussing possible Quantum Leap relaunches. It's exactly. one of my favorites. Plus, let's be honest, with Star Trek fan scripts, there's been a buildup, right? It's just, even if they just let you submit them by email, how many people have got like 100 fan scripts that they've written over the last 25, 30 years, just ready to go? Including a minimum of 50 scripts for a series that doesn't even exist. It, one that they oh, just yeah. Many scripts for series that don't exist. Uh, it would just be insanity. It would be, wow. Yeah, I wouldn't want to handle the email inbox. I already have the entire first season of Captain Worf ready to go. Yeah, and so do 8,000 other people. (laughs) And, you know, it's it's just crazy. So, yeah, they couldn't do that anymore, I don't think. Um, Go go on. Moving back to the episode of Quantum Leap, um, uh, the wrong to set right. Uh, to be honest, he's trying to solve the murder mystery. That's that's what we're trying to do. Um, but other people can't quite agree that that's what needs to happen. Um, he's trying to be a private detective. He's following clues this way, that way. Um, he's trying to find a way to get alone with uh, with, with Allison, and that's not working out. Um, Al finally shows up and says, "Hey." This case was turned into a novel and then published, but it was it was a contest novel, so it didn't actually have the ending, so that didn't help them out all that much. I didn't quite get the the importance of that book to the episode, but you just kind of go with it. And then there's some shooting, and then there's a last-minute switcheroo, and oh my god, it's actually that person who we didn't have any idea was the killer except for the fact that it was the only other character in the episode that had any sort of a character given to him so it has to be him basically yeah and this was the uh i think the apartment manager i i honestly think the link to the book was massively underused yeah they could they could have done much more with that it kind of reminded me of uh the the royale the episode of next gen where uh-huh. there's yep. the book and they're seeing the book play out in front of them I mean, that's obviously the the whole point of it was that that was going to happen in Star Trek, but it just shows you could do more with that. And they did nothing with it, really, um, mm-hmm. which is a shame. Just just a missed opportunity. Too busy having Sam try and get it on with the lady. Yeah, that just bothered me. It, it still, even after the however many weeks it's been since we watched the episode, that still bugs me that a season finale especially the first season finale one, the episode is not special in any way for being a season finale. There's nothing that sets it apart or makes it remarkable or special. It's actually a rather unremarkable episode. One thing I remember from the last time we tried to record this episode is that neither one of us really loved this episode all that much. Yeah. It it could go at any point in a, in the middle of a series and you wouldn't notice Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I was, I was actually shocked to find out it was the last episode of the season because I, I have it quantum leaks oddly a show that I have no connection to which episode goes in which season it is. Yeah. Be, I, I think because growing up from watching it, growing up on TV, we didn't know is this season three of quantum leap. I don't know. Was last season, season two, who the fuck knows quantum leaps on, I'm watching it. That's really it. That's what I know. And so I didn't know which was the last one of what. 
until sort of doing this show. And it's like, oh God, yeah, it's why, why? it's odd. It's actually odd, isn't it? That mm-hmm. it, it, I, I assume they knew they were being renewed. Perhaps I suppose that's not not necessarily a, not necessarily a given. But I I, I don't know when. The, the, I, I, I suppose different shows would find out at different times, or if I don't know. The, the way I would look at it is this: I assume that they knew they were being renewed. And here's the reason why. If they did not know whether or not they were being renewed, if it was still you know uh, up for debate, if it was still a question, then they would have made this episode special. They would have made this as strong as possible to convince the studio to give them another season. But if they already knew they were being brought back the next year, then the pressure is off. So they don't need to make this episode uh, excel in any way. And it didn't. Yes, that I suppose that's possible. I don't know. Um, there will be people who know, I suppose. But it, it, yeah, it feels odd that it's not. I, I suppose you either know it's going to be your last episode or you don't. And you, it's how much do you want to wrap up your own story potentially, and how much can you wrap it up if you might still get a second series, and if you don't, if that's still up in the air, what do you do or yeah, it's all very weird. But then I, I don't understand how anybody does that on television. How, unless you know you're being renewed for season two, how do you not have this urge to wrap up the story? Uh, and do they and have to fight against it most of the time? Like I want to wrap yeah, this up. That, but that that's them just you know taking a, a really big gamble. Uh, for example, Alien Nation. I don't know if you watched that when it was a series. I, I am familiar um, with the series. Yes. Uh, they had one season, they got to the end of that season and they ended it on a big cliffhanger, uh, with, uh, it, it was, I think the wife and child or children of the main character, perhaps, uh, the main, uh, the main alien character himself, uh, having contracted a disease that was tailored for the aliens they are in uh, critical condition in the hospital. They're going to die and the villains are out there and they have this uh, virus and they're poised to release it wide. We don't know what's going to happen with these characters. And they made it that way, hoping that the cliffhanger would prompt the the network to bring them back. And they did not. So they just have this massive cliffhanger that just didn't get resolved. Now, eventually they were able to wrangle some TV movies and one of them they used to uh, resolve that cliffhanger. They had to go back and retcon the story and kind of retell the end of the story a bit. So imagine you, you, you remove the season finale from the mix altogether and replace it with this movie that tells a variation of that story and then pays it off all in one movie. And then they did a few other TV movies after that. And those TV movies were of decreasing quality. They were not great. Um, but that's, that's the gamble that they took is that hopefully they'll bring us back so we can finish telling the story because they're not going to want to leave this unresolved. And the network said, yeah, we have no problem leaving this unresolved. You're canceled. Yeah. Networks don't care, <laughs> especially when you want their money to make a thing they they really don't yeah. care if the story is resolved. Um, you know, so that's it's such a gamble. You're absolutely right. It is just a gamble. Others will be more certain than others, but you know. And, it, oh, there are multi-season deals, of course. Right, right. 
and in which case you've got to do really badly to screw that one up. Not, you know, I don't think any deal is actually a concrete deal. Uh, but there, there are some that are more concrete than others, so to speak. Yeah. I'm actually just looking over uh, the IMDb of Claudia Christensen. Christian. I added extra vowels to her name, extra syllables. Well, I, I, had act, I added an extra syllable on, on the sheet. That was my fault. <laughs> All right. Okay. She's done so many computer games. I must have talked mm-hmm. about this yep. on the last recording, but I honestly don't have any memory of it. So I, again, yeah. Wow. Well, she did Fallout 4 and sadly Fallout 76, soon free to play. And so, soon, soon free to play. Oh, it keeps getting cheaper by the minute. It's awful. Why did I spend, why did I spend so much money on that game? Have you bought Fallout 76? Yes. How much did you pay for it? I don't remember, but we paid too much. We I, paid far too much. There is currently an ad on my Facebook feed for the website cdkeys.com, which is a, a PC game site. And they're selling Fallout 76 for £8, which is probably about $10. I'm, I'm finding out how much we spent. Yeah, because, because my boy, my stepson, my 12-year-old boy, really wanted that game. Right, yeah. He wanted it in the worst way. Not only that, he wanted the beta. He wanted to play it early. He wanted to play it as soon as humanly possible. He could not wait to play that game. So we were talked into buying the beta of that. Ooh, and that was more money. I, I don't know the exact circumstances, the comedy of errors that led to this, but he missed the beta window. So he didn't even get to play it early. That hurts. Oh, well, but hey, at least we at least we couldn't get that money back because no one did anything wrong but us. Well, I don't know. Arguably, they provided you with a substandard product. There, there is, but then we're getting into an argument that I guarantee has been had many, many times on YouTube since November last year, and probably continues mm-hmm. uh, to this day. Has the game been because this is this is outstanding quantum leap discussion? Has Fallout seventy six been getting poor reviews? I have not kept up. Oh, it's uh, it is a tale of woe that is it may take up the remainder of any time we might have had to finish this show. Um, because essentially, imagine everything that could go wrong if you were to try and release a game, and all of that went wrong. And then Bethesda found new things that could possibly go wrong and made them go wrong as well. Uh, it, it, it's worth a Google. It's worth a Google, but it has resulted in many, many, many furiously upset people and lots of memes, obviously, because that's how these people do battle and uh, lots of other stuff like that. Yeah. I I think Tale of Woe is perhaps the best way of describing the events of Fallout. Sounds like it. I don't don't know that I want to read into it because it'll just make me sad, especially knowing that this is common – for him wanting, you know, I want this game. I want to play that game. This game looks great. Even with free games, Fortnite, uh, arguably the most popular video game on the planet right now. Second is second. Mine- what, what's first? Minecraft. Is that still the most popular game? Uh, by a long shot. Wow. It yeah. hasn't been played in this house in a long time. I but, think, okay. So second yeah. most popular game. Uh, and, and Fortnite is free to play. You do not have to pay any money to play the game. You can have, you know, all the fun you want and pay no money. But 
you can pay money to make it look different. The game doesn't function different. It doesn't operate any differently. You don't get any special abilities or powers. Your character is capable of doing all the same things, whether you pay money or don't pay money. He just does it wearing different clothes, using different weapons, and flying different gliders. Yeah. That, as far as I can tell, that's the only difference is just the way your character you, looks while you're playing. If, if if you're talking about buying, yeah, the outfits and stuff, that's absolutely correct. If you buy the season pass, you do get more to do within the game. You get different challenges and different things to unlock, and those things that you unlock include outfits and things like that. Like I, I never, I played it for a couple of months, and I never bought any individual item but i did get the season pass and that results in you getting all this other stuff as part of it and ideally the way they've got it planned out is that you only buy the season pass once and if you play it you will earn enough points to buy the next season and it i okay and it's it's not like a and this is all he'll have to do if he wants to earn enough points. I earned enough points and I played it a normal amount, like a, an adult who has other shit to do. So mm -hmm. it, it's not obscene and obsessive like that. But, but yeah. does it come down to you buy, you buy the season pass and if you play it enough, you can earn enough points to buy the next season pass. But if you're spending all your points on, Oh, if, yeah, if, if you spend your other points, that's yeah, then you won't have enough points. But the, I think the other point is, is that the season pass, it has levels. And as you level up, you unlock free stuff. Well, it's not free. Right. You paid for it as part of the season pass, but you, you unlock yeah. it. So you don't need to buy the outfits and other stuff that comes separately because you're unlocking it all as you play. So and at the same time, I look at the PlayStation store this morning. And I see that for less than the price of a Fortnite season pass, I can pick up the Metal Slug Anthology, which includes seven complete Metal Slug games. Metal yeah. Slug 1, 2, X, 3, 4, 5, and 6. Yeah. And I want that really bad. And it's only $8. <laughs> it's only $8 and that's seven games where you can spend more money and get just more to do in this game that's already free. Oh yeah, I mean, look, I if we could, you know, the debate as to what is worth money and stuff like that, that's, you know, that's a different sort of thing. I I would agree with you that I don't and and I didn't spend any of my money on pictures of things, you know, cuz that's that's what it is. You're buying pictures of things. So that that for me is that's over the line. There are other things I would pay money for, and I I would be on your side and say, yeah, that collection of seven complete games is better value for money than a, a Fortnite skin. Um, but then it depends what you're into. And that, and these kids have like prestige and stuff like that, reputations. They've got to go out in that Fortnite skin in front of their schoolmates and stuff like that. So I don't think, I honestly, I, a little bit of it, I don't think we know the pressure. And I, I bet there is some. Like, why are you playing in the thing that only comes in the season pass? That kind of, you know what kids are like. Kids are arseholes to each yeah. other. So because it, it it shows that I got the season pass, it shows that I'm that I'm good enough and I'm badass enough that I got this outfit. And I can it it sounds like I'm being reductive, but at the same time, I get it. I understand it. It's I just, know what it's like to be someone that age, and you want to you you want to keep up with with your peers, but at the same time, I'm also looking at it from the perspective of the adult parent. 
the one who finances all this stuff. Oh not yeah. The the young kid that I used to be where it was just this is what I want, can I have it? Now I'm in the position of do I pay for that or not? <laughs> hey, at least he's not into Pokemon. You know? There are <laughs> in terms of that kind of pressure for to have money spent on them and there being things to spend money on. Fortnite's not all that bad. And and the PS4 is really not that bad a platform for that kind mm. of thing. Uh, there are he, he he could be into Funko Pops. Exactly. There are there are people out there who could milk a kid for all they're worth with just utter tat. <laughs> you know, they they're very skilled at it. Like kid, don't you want a plushie of every single Pokemon you've caught? Because here's one. And they, they've got that ready to go. They know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. This is so not Quantum Leap, Scott. This is terrible. We- That's exactly what I was thinking. I think this is an illustration of the quality of the episode of Quantum Leap that we're discussing, that we can't even stick to it because we're talking about literally anything else. It's It's like the Coke Zero of Quantum Leap episodes. It, it merely exists and and brings right. nothing of joy to anybody except reminders of other better times. <laughs> That's, that and and including Claudia Christian in an episode that is not worthy of her because as a Babylon Five fan, I think that Claudia Christian is great. I I also think they, she, they make her look awful. I, I, yeah. I don't think she looks good in this episode and I in no way blame her because she It's sat, the hair. She sat in makeup. It's the it's the and, hair. Yeah. It's not a good look for her. And I, I mean even done I, I understand it is of the time. It's meant to look like 19 scrolling 53. 53. Uh but still there were other haircuts in 1953, you know? I I think Possibly women's hair was as varied as it is maybe every year since 1953. There might have been fashions and styles, but, you know, I, I don't think she'd have been burned at the stake as a heretic for having a slightly different hair, haircut. So that would have been better. So, yeah, I don't think they made her look good. She looks better in her IMDb mm-hmm. picture. And in fact, all of these other pictures on IMDb. Yeah. Bad hair and makeup people. And wardrobe. <clears throat> all those people. So we learn. In this episode of Quantum Leap, we learn a few things about the characters. Uh, now, Al, we don't learn a whole lot new, um, other than the fact that uh, when the plot calls for it, Al can be amazingly unhelpful. Now, we've seen him be helpful in other episodes before and since, but in this one, he seemed to be fairly uh, ineffective. Um, we find out that Sam uh, can get so distracted by a pretty lady, which is not something that he's been known for up till now. Um and in episodes since this one, when confronted with a pretty lady, he is not only not distracted by her, but he is distracted from her. He will do everything possible to avoid pretty ladies in episodes after this because he gets uncomfortable. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it's weird that we can say this, but in the next episode where he's <laughs> yep. on, on the train having just gotten married, he's really not into that at all. Is that the next one? Have we done that one? Did I imagine? Uh, yes, yes, it is, and yes, we have. Okay, good. So, yeah, it's all weird. Um, in this episode, he ends up getting so distracted that uh, he doesn't even ask, "Why does Ziggy think I'm here?" He just starts coming up with with the reason all on his own. He says, "You know what? I think I'm here to do this." Well, based on what? Well, based on based on naughty is why. 
That's what he's coming up with. And he doesn't even stop to consider the fact that if he completes the leap, he's going to disappear before he can do anything. He's so focused on the woman that if he wants the woman, he needs to fail the leap and not go. Then he can actually have what he's, what he's chasing after. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't, does it? It's very weird. Uh, the, the next segment on the write up, I'm, I'm starting to kick us into gear so we can actually, you know, finish the, the run through. We're never going to get to the end. Um, uh, the influence on history. Uh, sometimes Sam will meet a celebrity. Sometimes he will have an effect on, uh, history and culture, uh, in the past that we see in our present. Um, it's pretty minor in this one. Uh, throughout the episode, it is, mentioned that uh nick who sam has leapt into bears a striking resemblance to humphrey bogart so near the end there are a bunch of people in the airport who mistake him for humphrey bogart and he acts like kind of a douche so people assume that bogey is a bit of a douche and it seems that uh sam introduced the slang term main squeeze into the vernacular not for very long, not that before. one, was it? That, that's, I, have you ever said that? I've never uh, said that. Unironically, no. No. <laughs> not, so no, not in our lifetime. Not ever. Yeah. Ne- never have, heard... have I said it knowing, knowing how ridiculous a phrase it is? Sure, I've said it. Oh, yeah. There are, there are lots of things I've said ironically. Many, many things. Um, but... Ne- n- I've never said main squeeze. Never, never heard any one of my father's generation use that phrase either. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think it might have. Well, I, I, it is definitely a, a term, and I have heard it. Uh, I think maybe it was used by nine people for about twenty minutes, yeah. and it somehow just stuck around, ironically, for a bit. <laughs> it's quite weird. Like exclusively private detectives and or gangsters. I think that's it. That that sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> the the final section on the write up, we look at the the tropes that appear in these episodes, uh, the signs of the times uh, of the era that Sam has leapt into, and we take a look at uh, guest stars before they were star stars. Um, and the first thing that I, the biggest thing to notice in this episode is the amount of slang that is used, the amount of fifties hard boiled noir slang that is used to such a degree that it is impossible to believe that anyone actually talked like this back in the fifties. It is a cartoonish amount of slang being used by these people. Oh yeah. The the amount you'd have to, the amount of work you'd have to put in to communicate with that range of, of vocabulary for no reason it is incredible. No one would talk like that. You know, they can only talk like that because someone has literally written it down for them beforehand. Right. It, it seems as stilted and artificial as trying to speak using the Temerian language from the Next Generation episode, Darmok. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. If I, you try to hold an entire conversation where your your only phrases are... Uh, Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra, Temba his arms wide, and Shaka when the walls fell. That's all you got. Have a conversation. <laughs> you know, now you say it, didn't he have alarmingly few references as point of conversation? 
that guy. It was because um, you, 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 mean, you the, said them all. The, the Temerian captain. Well, yeah, yeah. Th- those are the ones that we used often. At, but here, here's my thing. I will, of course, defend Star Trek, whereas I will not defend this episode of Quantum Leap. I'll defend Star Trek by saying that those phrases, those are the simple ones. It's Darmok and Jelana Tanagra. That's the reference for what he's trying to do with the both of them on the planet. Um, you know, look, the, this is the point of this visit is to recreate this story, Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra. Now, you also get Temba, his arms wide. Yeah. You hear that a lot. And that is a, a basic common phrase that has multiple uses. And it's simple. If he, if he keeps leaning on that one and the other, which is Shaka when the walls fell, which is to denote failure. Those are, <clears throat> excuse me, those are simple phrases that when you use it often enough, the person you're talking to will eventually figure out what they mean. And from there you can build more. Now they didn't have time for more than that because Picard was able to finally figure out what uh, Temba, his arms wide, what it means. Once he starts catching on, well, that's when everything starts falling apart. Yeah. Then yeah, the other the, captain gets the, injured. The monster comes for televisual purposes. Right. If, if that had not happened, if he had finally put it together and figured out, Oh, this is, how your language operates, then he would have very quickly been able to figure out more phrases from the captain after that. He just didn't, didn't get the chance. And you, you, you heard, um, when the captain, when the other captain was injured and laying by the fire and Picard is about to tell his story, you heard several other phrases that you'd never heard before, but he's not trying to teach the Picard how the language works at that point. He is just speaking. Yeah. So that's when you get a bunch of new phrases that you only hear the one time. Picard would have learned those if they had had another day to work through all this, but they didn't. Fair enough. Um, where, oh, yeah, that was the end bit. Oh, Willie Garson, he was Seymour before he was in Sex and the City and Harvey Oswald. Yeah, in in uh, three years hence, later on in this very series, Willie Garson will return playing someone else on Quantum Leap. <clears throat> Which, oddly enough, I know is season five because it's the last one. That was me mentioning from before when I didn't know what season. Sorry, early callback. Never mind. Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> Babylon Five, eh? Not, not the last, not the last episode, but it's the last season. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. that was a big deal. And I was, do you know what? I was a bit more grown up then and more aware of how television functioned as an industry and that kind of thing. And so. We were more aware that there were sequels. And plus, I then had friends at school who watched it and that sort of thing. And you had to talk about this stuff because there was no internet. So we knew somehow. Right. I don't know how we knew, but we knew. Very weird. Commercials. Do you remember before there was internet? I I know I do. And it's weird, but I don't really. A little bit. I don't really appreciate, I think, what it was like to go through Mm -hmm. all of school with no internet. Because no, and the only way that you could get your information was to watch the commercials that would have previews for shows that you're going to watch. Like we knew that uh, Lee Harvey Oswald was going to show up in a two episode uh, uh, Quantum Leap arc because they were promoting that on TV. So that's how we knew that was coming. The only other way to get stuff was to find magazines on the newsstand. Yeah, and you know we got um and and. you, you, am I right in thinking uh, you, you have a lot more sort of last week on whatever and ne- coming next week on this show, uh, sort of bookending the shows that you watch? 
Oh yeah. Wait, the has- previously on the previously on tag is relatively new. You would usually only get that going back to Star Trek for a reference. You would only get that if it was part two of a two part episode, yeah, you would yeah. get last time on Star Trek, the next or Star Trek deep space nine or whatever. And yeah, they would have a preview uh, for, for next week's episode. They don't always do that with television these days. Uh, a, a lot of shows will give you that little taste of here's what's coming next week. Um, but the previously on that's everywhere these days because so many shows are just telling one long story throughout the season. Yeah. They, they, they need to catch you up. Now, a lot of that stuff gets cut when the show comes over here. Like we, we really, when I watched next generation on TV as a kid, there was never a next time on next generation. I never saw that. We never got that. We just didn't know. We just assumed that it would be on next week. And usually it was. And sometimes it was an old episode. So we knew the season had ended. That was just, it sounds so ridiculous, but that was how we function. And it was how people functioned for like 40 years or more. So, you know, that was just how it was. Mm -hmm. Uh, When TV started, there were three channels. No, there were two. No, there was one. Shut up, Richard. (laughs) Also, as we mentioned, we have Claudia Christian, guest starring in this episode as Allison, she would debut on the first regular season episode, not the pilot movie, but the first episode of the regular season one of Babylon five as, uh, Lieutenant Susan Ivanova. Uh, she would remain on the show for four years. Yeah. I've never seen Babylon five. That's a lie. I've seen the first 10 minutes of the first bit. Or I think I've seen it until there's special effects and then I turned it off and I never went back. And I know, I know, you and I, have, I know I, you and I have had this conversation. Yes. Yeah. I understand the special effects aren't great. It was possibly the first, if not the first, then one of the first, uh, sci-fi television series whose special effects were all computer generated, no models, no practical effects. If it was outside in space, it was done on the computer. And while it may not look super great these days, especially with the way that the shows have been transferred and downscaled and not remastered, not converted to HD, it doesn't look great. But the one thing that I'm sure I've said about Babylon 5 to you, maybe even on this show, if I'm repeating myself, listeners, I apologize. But the story of Babylon 5 is of such high quality that it does make up for the special effects. I'm, I, I'm, I don't really, I'm, I don't wish to sort of knock Babylon five as such. I'm, I'm certainly not tied to any particular fandom to feel the need to uh, attack another. It just, it just wasn't really for me. Maybe one day, because there was a time when I didn't really like original series, Star Trek. And now it's kind of my favorite. Mm-hmm. So things change. And, I'm always prepared to one of these days to give it a try. Yeah. Um, I've, I've got my wife working on her first viewing of Babylon five. We are a few episodes into the second season. Um, well, it, it's, and it's easier to do it with someone you live with. Cause you sort of put it on in a kind of to deal with that kind of way, <laughs> you know, sometimes a little bit, you can't do that with me. You'd have to come over here and then for several weeks, probably. So it's not very cost effective. But yeah, your wife, she's <laughs> right so there. Much. It's like, what? Look at that. There you go. You're watching it. Ha <laughs> ha. 
I do that all the time. We're already sitting down here. I've already watched three episodes of Supernatural with you. You can watch one episode of Babylon 5 with me. Exactly. That's compromise, that is. That's 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 a relationship, as they say. <laughs> and and mine's way shorter. Babylon 5 only ran for five seasons. Supernatural is still running. I think they're on, like, season 15 right now. I think it will outlive me, definitely. Um, it's just one of those things. I know Coronation Street will. I hope The Simpsons doesn't. I just want to see them. Yeah. Someone have the sense to go, you know what? Let's not anymore. Mm -hmm. Matt Groening's probably doing gangbusters with that thing that was on Netflix that we all watched and loved immediately. What was it called? No one knows anymore. Who knows? (laughs) Didn't everyone give it five minutes? Did the world give it five minutes? And then it's like, I think, what the fuck is this? I and think we turned it off here in this house. Here in this house, I think we gave it twenty. That's that's even fairer than what we did. That's even fairer than us. That's but yeah. Sorry, just sell Bart Simpson t-shirts now. That's that's good money. That's good money. What does Matt Groening know? He's got more money than God. Surely he's not short of cash now. Just pack it in. Mm-hmm. Go and live somewhere where it's actually never cold, and have fun. There you go. Let Conan O'Brien come back and take over The Simpsons. The Simpsons, in my opinion, The Simpsons was never better than when Conan O'Brien was on staff. Arguably true. Are we done talking about Quantum Leap, though? Because I've got nothing else to say, really. Um, I think I think we are. Down at the bottom of the sheet, it says, did we like it? Did we like this episode? No, we didn't. We were bored. We we, yeah. we felt the need to talk about Fallout. That's, that's <laughs> how much we liked this episode. <laughs> The the next episode of the series, which was the the uh, the season premiere of the second season, which is not the story that was teased at the end of this episode. At the end of this episode, Sam leaps into a woman. The next season begins with Sam leaping into someone else entirely, and he will leap into a woman, I think, the third or fourth episode. All of so, those are better episodes than this one. Yeah. The next episode was... I, I thought really good. It was a strong episode. You get invested in the characters. Um, and even the, the most recent episode that we did, which was, uh, he was dealing with, uh, with his brother. Oh, he was a stunt man. Um, I can't remember the, the name of the quantum leap episode where he leaps into a stunt man, but, oh, uh, Disco uh, Inferno, was it? D- Disco Inferno. Yeah. Disco Inferno. Good episode. Well written. It, I, the the dialogue was sharp. You care about the characters. Uh, played against Seymour. It it has none of that, and it's hard to really put your finger on why. It's just kind of an X factor. There's just something about it that makes you not care about the people as much. That's it. So for for more enthusiastic stuff, uh, come back next week or <laughs> the week after that, both weeks, and probably the week after that as well, actually. I think the one where he leaps into a woman is possibly the first one I saw. I think that's that's my memory of it, or very early. Mm-hmm. I think this is about where I discovered Quantum Leap on TV. Anyway, we'll come back to that. So thank you for listening, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, go on over to patreon.com slash simply syndicate and you pick yourself up an ad free version of this episode along with the, uh, notes and everything else that I'll be putting on there. Thank you to everybody who's helping us out. It's, it's ad free versions of everything on there, by the way. There's a whole podcast feed. It's pretty awesome. 
So uh, pop on over, help support us, and uh, get some podcasts with no ads on them and stuff like that. I'm trying to put more stuff on there as well. So there's things like for movie quiz, you can download a PDF of all the questions and stuff. So you can play with the family at home, probably with less swearing and digs up Mel Gibson. That said, I don't know what your home's like. Maybe that's my home's all sweary and taking the piss out of Mel Gibson. I, I don't know. It's not a bad way to live your life. I'm just saying. Um, so all of that's on there. I'm still going to do YouTube videos of those in the next couple of weeks. Uh, which is something to look out for. It's all on simplysyndicated.com. So that's really the best place to find everything. And then links to stuff and then other things. You know how the internet works, right? You've seen it before. You, you got this far. A little bit. Yeah. You, they all got this far. This It's all good. Right. So uh, until next week, we'll see you later. Bye-bye.